Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hi, friends. I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas holiday. And if it was painful for you, I am sorry. I know it's not always just the celebrations that we think it is, but I am also just happy to be able to celebrate the first coming of our King as we await his second coming. So Merry Christmas once again to you and thank you for meeting us back here on the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host, and I have an announcement for you before I introduce our guests for today, which is that we've just been praying at Heal and feel like we really want to consecrate this podcast and this ministry to the Lord. So, For the first month of 2022 in January, the first four Mondays of it, we are not going to publish a podcast episode, and that is really hard for me. I want to keep giving you great stories, but I want to trust God more that he can take care of you. There are more stories published, so just head back through all the podcasts that have been published if you need to listen to some encouragement this next coming up week. But My staff and I have not taken a break from the podcast since we started it almost two years ago, and we do believe there are rhythms of rest and renewal. And so while everyone's gearing up for New Year's resolutions, we just want to submit this first part of the year to God to see what he wants for the podcast, for our ministry, and we want to not try to finish in the flesh what God has begun by the Spirit. So I believe that he has called us to start this podcast through his Spirit, and it is really easy to try to take those reins back. So as an exercise in crucifying our flesh, we are going to take a pause. We already have some people lined up right now. I believe that God has definitely called us to continue in making these podcast episodes for you, although we're always open to him changing that. So there will be some coming starting January 31st, but I wanted to give you a heads up that that is why you are not going to see a fresh new podcast episode published for the next few weeks. So we will miss you. Know that we are praying for you behind the scenes and please reach out to us through the website at thehealministry.com if you need some support. So thank you for being here. And today we are going to finish up 2021 with one of my favorite episodes that we have recorded. I am so honored to get to introduce you to our guests, David and Renee Lyons, who I love their website. They are affectionately referred to as the Lion's Den. I love that with all the things that they're doing. And so David is a vice president of the Navigators and Renee is his wife. And that is different than the book that we discuss. When I uh, first looked it up, I thought that he had co-written with his wife, but he wrote a book with his sister, Linda, called Don't Waste the Pain. And it is a journey about his sister, Linda's journey through cancer, as well as his son, Ian's journey through cancer. So a lot of our conversation is based off of that today. Just so you know where David and Renee are coming from, uh, both Ian and Linda ended up losing their lives to cancer. And yet there were legitimate miracles along the way. There was gratitude along the way, alongside 
the most intense pain and grief that you can imagine. So Ian had a very, very rare form of cancer that when they found it had destroyed 95% of his bone marrow and the tumor in his stomach was doubling in size every 48 hours. So as parents, how on earth do you walk alongside your child through that? And I love what David says in the book. He says, pain boils motives to the surface. And I feel like uh, their pain, David and Renee's pain, has boiled a lot of their motives to the surface that they surrendered. But what I have seen this many years later is that what boiled to the surface is their love for God and their love for a good, good father. Even when we can't fully understand, he is a good, good father we can trust. So it has been an honor to get to talk to David and Renee, and I believe that you will love them as well. So here are our new friends of the podcast, David and Renee Lyons. David and Renee, I read your book, which you wrote a while ago, David, with your sister, and Renee's a big part of it. It was fun. You have photos in there as well, so it's fun seeing your faces here today, and I am honored that you are leaning into the pain in your journey to be here today, and I don't take that lightly. So welcome to the podcast. We are glad that you are here. Thank you. It's a to be here. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, Tara. Yeah. Will you tell people, just because they have no idea how I find my guests or who they are, where are you guys? Maybe share a little bit about yourselves or your daily life or family or whatever you would think people might find interesting to know a little bit about you. We're with the Navigators and what we do right now, David's a part of the leadership for the leading the work globally. He's on the international team and he has his fingers in a lot of things, but one of the great joys for us is we're responsible for um, the MENA region, the Middle East, North Africa, which has a, a our Muslim work. So we're, that's very much a part of our journey. And we learn a lot from them about living with all kinds of pain. I'll tell you. Yeah. Just physical, emotional, all of it. Social, the injustices they live with because of their faith. Yeah. Yeah. And very physical persecution many times, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. In, in the Middle East, North Africa, their approach to discipleship, you know, we're a disciple-making organization, but they have an aspect of uh, their basic curriculum of, of disciple-making that you don't see in many other parts of the world, and that's the place of suffering. Mm. in following Christ. Yeah. As soon as someone comes to Christ, that's so crucial because they will suffer and often really intensely. It's just part of life there and makes them really real. And it's interesting that even though suffering is so much a part of their lives, they're some of the most joyful people they've ever been around. Yeah. I assume you're familiar with Voice of the Martyrs. Yes. So I read that each month and I feel like that helps keep me understanding what most Christians, I wouldn't say most, a lot of Christians across the world face that I feel like we do not often face in the U.S. or in Western countries. Although, I don't know what you think about this, but I I think we might see more persecution and it might even turn into physical persecution in our lifetimes. I agree. But I agree. There are groanings going on. What do you guys know from working with the Muslim population about 
about Jesus or evangelism that maybe most people just wouldn't realize? Like you mentioned the suffering. Are there other concepts that we just in the Western church don't really think about that you would want to share with people? Earlier this morning, I was I was talking with one of our leaders in that sort of context in another part of the world. And we were talking about the place of fear, which is is daily thing. Where he lives right now, just going out the door, you have to be ready. Kidnapping is a big part of what hap- is happening in, in Nigeria today. And learning to just not give fear a place mm-hmm. to just set up camp in your heart leads to freedom and and flourishing that you wouldn't have if you didn't have to say no to fear. In more comfortable contexts, we're more comfortable allowing fear to set up camp in our hearts. We have less to fear, but we get more place to fear. Because it, it seems... Like it's not as big a deal. Whereas if you're walking out the door wondering if you were being kidnapped, it's we just take it more seriously because I, I would say fear is absolutely rampant in, in the whole COVID crisis. And you don't need to go into sides or anything, but it's just both sides or multiple, even if there are, I think there are even more than two sides in this this whole thing, right? Is just fear is all over it, but we just maybe don't see it as much of a threat because it doesn't hit us mm-hmm. in the face. Do you think? That's right. And being put in a place where you have to face your fears and overcome them takes you to a better place mm-hmm. in your walk with God and in, in your soul. I mean, it's just one of those great ironies to realize the people that my friends and fellow workers who face the most danger have the most joy. Mm-hmm. It's surprising, but consistently true. Yeah, I believe that. And maybe the antidote to our culture in the U.S. of not confronting that fear is being faced with a pain that we can't escape from, right? Yes. Which would be very opposite from the prosperity gospel. Very opposite, yes. So you guys, I know, have so many aspects that I feel like we could talk about that are fascinating to me, but I'm going to try to keep us on track. And I know you've had more than one kind of pain in your life, but obviously a very real one that you wrote a book about. Um, with with your sister and your son, will you guys just share a, a brief overview of of what that looked like with Ian and Linda, just so people who aren't familiar with the story kind of know what what you guys broadly went through, and then we'll jump in to more specifics. Yes. Well, Linda had cancer first, my sister, and uh, it was a ten year battle with cancer, coming and going, and. Uh, she grew through so much through that that she described cancer as a very good thing wrapped up in a very bad thing. Mm. It's a gift that she wouldn't want to have, have, have missed what she received through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the midst of that, our son Ian, who was 12 at the time, was diagnosed with a very severe cancer that he was within two weeks of dying without treatment. His story was a shorter one in terms of the battle with cancer. It was the 15-month journey. He did experience uh, healing in the midst of that. So they couldn't find cancer anywhere in his body after six months. We were rejoicing greatly. Following through on the treatment, and then when we finished the treatment, almost exactly a year after the initial diagnosis, it came back that it crossed over the blood-brain barrier into his brain. And at that point, they said, you've probably got about two weeks. And almost exactly two weeks later, he had a seizure, fell into a coma, and uh, had about three more months to live. Wow. 
So we walked uh, that with our son, which is yeah. a very painful thing that most people would say, I'd never want to go through that. Yeah. Anybody would say that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's an awkward question. I don't think you could ever be grateful for that, for what happened with Ian or the loss of him. Are you now, it's been what, about 10 years? Yes. Are there are there things in that that you can say I'm grateful for? Is this like this mixed bag of saying this is horrendous, like what Linda said of of the good thing wrapped in a bad thing? I mean, you probably wouldn't wish that on your worst enemies. Can you say, yeah, there are some things we're grateful for in that? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, and not just now, even in the midst of it, we've every day there were things that gave us joy. When you're fighting for your life, it kind of your world becomes small, and the the little kindnesses of people would give us great joy in the midst of it. I think the thing we want to be careful of is to not try and reduce life to an equation that says it's worth it. Hmm. You know, there's so many benefits. So many people came to Christ. Our son was an extraordinary young man. He suffered so well. So. I mean, he's a beautiful young man, and his story is beautiful. Great results came out of it in our lives and many others. Mm -hmm. I still want my son back. Yeah. And you can live in the dichotomy of that. Is that not our world, the dichotomy of (laughs) the not yet, right? Yeah. And the things people said to us, like, isn't that worth it? You know, so many people came to Christ. I won't, I, my response inside was not very Christian. I will tell you that. It's like, mm-hmm. you want to give your son and you tell me if it's, that's worth it. It's kind of that permissible but. will almost. If you've heard Johnny Erickson Tata, she says that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so I've been thinking, does God only allow what he permits It has to be something that he could redeem, even if he hates it. Like, are there a lot of things that God says no? Like you look at Job, right? And he said, okay, Satan's like, can I touch his body? And he's like, no, you can't. And then he's like, okay, yes, now you can touch his body. Like, are those things, and not every pain that comes into our life, I think is redeemed. But if it comes into our life, do we then believe that God knows it is redeemable if he's allowed it? That's what the resurrection is all about. And that's a lot of the journey. How can he create life out of death? How can he create life out of destruction, out of absolute brokenness? That's that's the mystery that we keep growing towards and into. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of God is the great salvage operator in the sky. He takes what's broken and he brings beautiful things out of it. We've messed up this world. We live in a broken world. And in the the facing and coping with pain, I keep coming back to this. We live in a broken world. And pain is a part of this broken world that we've inflicted on ourselves, basically. But in the midst of that, God has not stopped pursuing us and bringing, you know, beauty out of ashes mm-hmm. and bringing joy out of the pain he, he continues to pursue us in the midst of the mess mm-hmm. that we've made as a human race yeah. you know 
I feel like what you're saying goes with one of your quotes, by the way, your book was one of the hardest for me to prepare for because I was like, I feel like I'm underlining five things a page. How am I supposed to choose what I want to say out of this? <laughs> um, and I, I love both your writing and Linda, oh my goodness, her humor just had me cracking up amidst something so, so serious and um, just incredible. But you said this, which I feel like we need to just take this in slowly. When we're in pain, we have three roads to choose from. One, unquestioning resignation. Two, demanding total intellectual understanding. Or three, the road of gratitude. Goodness. So I don't know that I've ever thought of those three, but that rings so true to me. So how did you, amidst Ian's journey, and even now, I was thinking about just some things that were probably, I mean, you still have to think about the loss of Ian all the time, I'm sure. I think I'm barely older than he is. And I was wondering if you were thinking about that um, today. And so, you know, when you see those things come up, how do you choose a road of gratitude? You don't resign yourself. You don't demand understanding, but still walk in that gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> it was very deliberate. We had just come through three years of a journey with me of healing from really broken occultic things. Hmm. And as literally the week my counselor said, I can no longer meet with you. My cancer has come back. Our son was diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. Just a few weeks. Your counselor had cancer. Yes. And then that same week, our son was diagnosed. So I just, the shock of that. And about two weeks before, or two months before all that happened, there was a shooting at our church, unfortunately, <laughs> and people were killed. Mm. We were in the midst of all of that. And one of the pastors that stepped up had said, I don't know how to help us through. There had been some other brokenness too, but his motto, he said, I know one thing, we will worship our way through this. And we were really broken people and we learned to worship. It's actually a song you probably know um, by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony, we will overcome that was written for that. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day they sat us down. We had taken, I had taken Ian in in the middle of the night because he was in so much pain. I knew something was horribly wrong and the tumor was growing very quickly inside of him. And when they sat us down to tell us the first diagnosis, it took three diagnoses to get there. After the initial shock and tears, I looked at David and I said, I have no idea how to walk this. I have no idea how to help our children walk this. I've known God all these years and I feel like I'm in a free fall, but I know one thing. We're going to worship our way through this. And we're going to choose thankfulness. We're going to worship because it had been transforming our lives through the last three years. And that has been our foundation ever since then. So when David said it's thankfulness thing, that's a, that's it. Are you willing to share more of your journey when you said you were healed from some of these things or like, did that try to resurface then when you're presented with a lot of suffering and did you have to fight that with, with spiritual warfare or gratitude worship 
or do you feel like you had been through that healing journey and then this was like walking walking that out i'm just curious because i feel like sometimes there isn't a real enemy and we shouldn't blame him for everything but who who would love to take advantage of that situation and try to resurface some things in your life yeah good question the element of god's goodness had been pounded out by the time we got Ian's diagnosis. So when I first began to realize what was happening, and it, it was very ugly, the, the dark kingdom just kind of let loose in our family. I was not really functioning. We had to have one of our daughters come and help take care of her younger brothers. I went into a free fall. I heard Romans 8, everything's good and God's going to make it good you know, all things work together for good. And I somehow had heard everything's good. Hmm. It, it'll all be okay. And I remember thinking, if you call this good, I will never speak to you again. You cannot call this good. Somewhere in that year, and I give a lot of David credit for helping, that began to settle into my heart. And I think David's heart of this wasn't good. This was the epitome of evil, but that does not define who God is. He is good. And I cannot change my theology based on my pain. Mm. And we, he brought huge healing. It wasn't complete, but he has completed it all. And it was through our time with Ian. And I'm, yeah, I don't know, David, maybe you would add to that. Yeah. In the years before Ian got sick and all this, that it, the trauma that, Renee had experienced as a little girl and facing that together. We had to wrestle hard with the goodness of God. And I, I remember just you know, saying, God, how, what good could possibly justify what happened to her as a little girl? What good could justify that? And yeah, you ask those hard questions. And we, we came to this place where we, we just, God had revealed so much of his goodness to us that mm. in other ways, that we couldn't deny or abandon. And and through the scriptures as well, we saw so much of the goodness of God in the cross and how he had pursued us that we came to the conclusion, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand the calculus of this, you know, but I know that God mm-hmm. is good. That became settled in our heart. Believe God is good. He's working for our good, even though what's happening is bad. So when Ian got sick, we were kind of past the why question. We weren't asking why. Others around us were asking why. Oh, you're missionaries, you're Christian leaders. You know, why would this happen to you? We weren't asking that question because we had already faced that question. And it, it, what was in some ways an even more painful way, that question was settled. When we, when we got into the whole situation with Ian, so it was about, what do we do next door? What do you have in mind? Here? Actually, I found myself asking, why not us? I just find a lot of people get really angry with God, with their pain. Mm-hmm. They were particularly telling him thank you when there wasn't pain. Wow. And suddenly there's pain. It's all his fault. And it's a good point. No. But instead, I kept thinking, why not us? I have just experienced the presence of God. He's been healing me. I know who my God is as much as you can, as I could at that point. 
We are the people who have life. We are the people who I have the resource. It didn't make it any easier, but I knew that there was a pathway. There had to be, or he lied. And I know he didn't. So for me, it was more like, why not us? I feel like you guys both show this childlike faith, right? And this is what Jesus says we have to have, that you have to take the kingdom like a child in order to receive it. And yet I know you're both intellectual people. You are both sitting here. I mean, looking at me, people can't see you like grayish whitish hair, right? The symbol of wisdom. You've walked a lot more life than I have. And yet sometimes I think the more life we live, we can get more cynical or we can become more intellectual. And so something I think David, you wrote is um, that you said the thing about childlike faith is not only um, do you ask without doubt, because that's what I always think. Just ask God like he's Santa, essentially. I mean, (laughs) you know, just like asking like, you know, your dad loves you and he wants to give you things. Not only do you ask without doubt, but you accept no without questions. Okay. Never thought of that before. How, how do you develop that childlike faith, right? And not lose that as, as you endure trials is, is developing a childlike faith come by experiencing trial after trial and seeing God's faithfulness? Like, how do we hold on to that until God takes us home? Yeah, you specialize in hard questions. <laughs> it, for whatever reason, what comes to my mind is it was this one time where Ian was, he had to go through a test that involved putting this monstrous needle into his spine. And I'm there holding his hand, looking into his eyes. And the, the you know, what do you say to your son at that time? You, know, you don't say it's going to be okay. You don't say this isn't going to hurt. Uh, it hurt a lot. It, it hurts a scary amount. But between a father and a son, we're going to get through this. Between a father and a son, I love you. You can see it in my eyes. I'm with you. In fact, in the midst of that procedure, I'm the one who passed out. That we have a God who walks with us through our pain. And the picture I have is of a, of a child who, even though it hurts, knows my father's with me and loves me and cares for me, is walking with me through this, who is shedding tears with me as I'm experiencing this pain, who feels my pain with me. As I understand that passage in Hebrews, when we feel pain, he feels pain. So I, I can walk with a God who walks with me in that way. That's, there's that childlike faith. And anybody who's had a child who's sick, like we have and many others have, the thing that happens between the parent and the child where you're bonded and you're walking through this together, and the, the child doesn't understand it. One of the interesting things about pediatric oncology is that with adult oncology, the doctors talk with the patient. With pediatric oncology, the doctors talk with the parents. So we were a part of it in a way. I mean, we, we had to make decisions in his behalf and walk with him. And he had to trust us with that. So we're walking with him. And he trusted us. He trusted us to the very end. That's childlike trust. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it maybe it's there's a subtle distinction between childlike faith and childlike trust. Hmm. Where the the child instead of sitting in the back seat the whole time saying, Are we there yet? or or more to the point, Dad, are you sure you're going the right way? Childlike trust 
relaxes in the back seat Mm -hmm. and knows that God's going to get me where we're supposed to go. And yet, my question on that is you also talk about seasoned trust versus naive trust. And so I think some people would say, well, a childlike trust who just sits there, they only trust because they're naive, because they haven't experienced how horrible the world is. And I don't, I don't think that's true. And so what is your take on, on what is that difference? There's a subtle difference between you said childlike faith and childlike trust. What's the difference between a seasoned trust and a naive trust then? Yeah, that's the next level, so to speak. So yeah, that naive trust believes that God's this great genie in the sky. He's like a great vending machine in the sky that's going to get me what I want eventually if I pray hard enough and do the right stuff. Seasoned trust has suffered. Seasoned trust has realized that there are times when God may hurt me. A lot of Christians, when I say that, they they kind of check out. Yeah, It's like, no, uh, I cannot believe in a God who would hurt me. Many people say they can't understand why why God let that happen to Job. Like that's the same as him saying, like hurting you, right? Well, you've got to throw out a whole lot of the Bible to believe that God would never hurt his people Mm. whom he loves or his own son. Yeah. You really have to get out your scissors and cut out a lot of the Bible. It's a good word. We don't like, you know, there's a, I forget where I read it, but in the midst of pain, we have to give up the God that we thought we knew in order to get to know the God who is. He is not a tame lion. We walk with a dangerous God, mm-hmm. and yet who loves us so deeply and is so for us and so with us, but he's not safe. He, yeah. He's not this little fluffy shepherd that just, you know, makes sure that you never, that nothing hard ever happens. We live in a broken world and we broke it. And yet he hasn't withdrawn from that broken world. He's walking with us. He became one of us so that he could walk in the midst of the pain and brokenness of this world. God who is, is much more mysterious and and a bit scary than the, the God that, that we thought we knew. He doesn't fit in a box. Yeah. So seasoned trust is getting to know the God who is. And so the, the pain that we experience becomes like these rocks in the stream that the goodness of God flows around. We're so deeply convinced that he's good and he's for us and he's with us that that those mm-hmm. painful things we're experiencing don't change that. So, so season trust says, I know he might hurt me. I know that he's in, in this with me and I still trust him. Season trust I, says, I still trust him. I still know he's good. I don't understand what's going on. I don't like it. This stinks. I mean, how many of the Psalms? I think 30 or 40 of the Psalms are, you know, Psalms of complaint. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we pour out our hearts to God and we say, you know, this stinks, God. I don't like it. What are you doing? I hate this. And yet by the end of those Psalms of complaint, something happens. We've spilled our guests to God. And yet at the end we say, but I still trust you. I still want to know you. I still want to walk with you. Isaiah 45 talks about secrets that only come from the hidden and the dark places. There's a knowing of God that comes when you are willing to sit in the pain and not get angry and not run away, that comes with a knowing there is no other way to know it. Hmm. I don't know how else to explain that. I remember when we were in college together, we were becoming fascinated with the Christ life and the gospel of grace and, and 
just you know the wonder of what this life is that he's designed us for. And as we were studying that and learning about it, I came to this place where I realized from the scriptures and from the stories of the saints that the people that we most admire in our lives and in the biographies, what do they all have in common? Horrible pain. They have suffered. Deeply. And that there's something that that that's going to be necessary. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, wow, this life that I long for and want that I'm going to have to go through some suffering to experience that. Yeah. I don't know when it's going to come. I just kind of fastened my seatbelt at that point and said, okay, whatever it takes, I want that life. I want to be one of those shining ones. And uh, Lord, whatever it takes to take me there. And, you know, he's, he's brought things along the way and allowed things along the way that are helping to get us there. You mentioned Johnny Erickson Tata. Why, why do so many people know her? Because she's been a quadriplegic for, I think, over five decades and is like more in love and on fire for the Lord than ever. That's right. That. And why is it there's so few that we can look at? But when you see it, you know, I want what she has. Oh, God, please don't let me walk that path. Mm-hmm. But there's a knowing. There's a knowing of him that we know the God of the Bible and not the God that our culture or our evangelicalism has given us. You know, I see people walking away because I don't think they know the God of the Bible. Yeah. And even Job, you know, at the end, he's asking God, why? What's going on? What happened? What happened? Mm-hmm. God never answered him. Yep. He brought his presence and Job simply covered his mouth, mm-hmm. and it was enough. I think that for most, well, I don't want to use the word, but many, it might be most, Christians, we would never say it aloud, but we, uh, deep in our souls, we feel like we've got this deal with God. If I just do the right things, he'll give me what I want. Mm-hmm. And then something bad happens, and we're furious, like, how dare you? I have been having my quiet time and praying and going to church and giving generously and blah, blah, blah. And we get ticked off with God. Yeah. And it's just like, God, I thought we had a deal here. It, this is what Hebrews uh, uh, twelve fifteen talks about. See to it that no one comes short of the grace mm-hmm. of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. And the grace of God is a supernatural enabling of God. So, like God's offering us the grace that we need for whatever it is, whatever it is, he's offering us the grace, but we have to receive it. The supernatural enabling, we have to receive it. And if we don't, if we mm-hmm. come short of it, then this root of bitterness springs up. In that passage, that's mainly talking yeah. about bitterness toward God. Yeah. Esau was ticked off with God and we get ticked off with God and then something dies mm-hmm. in us. And it, not just people that go through chronic pain or loss of a child. A lot of, of Christians, they come to this point where maybe earlier in their life, they prayed some crazy prayer, said, God, whatever you want. I just, I want to know Jesus like that person or that person or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they pray those prayers. And they got to answer yeah. their prayers. It says, okay, you want to go there? This is the road. And they come to that crossroads and they don't receive that grace and they check out. They keep going to church, 
they keep going through the motions, but something dies. Yeah. And, um, and they're like the walking dead from that point on. They're, they're still going through the motions because they're too committed to just completely mm-hmm. abandoned. And although a lot of the next generation are, but yeah, we, yeah. We, we have to have the courage and faith to continue to trust Yeah. in order to get to where he's taking us. Mm-hmm. It's like when we pray the, God be an all consuming fire in my life. There's a song that talks about that, you know, like burn away, whatever. It's like, do you understand what you're asking? You're asking him when you're asking for favor from God, you're asking him to burn away anything that is going to lead to not his favor, which would be a lot of things you like in your flesh. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting here wondering if it's almost like suffering is a lost spiritual discipline. Except that a spiritual discipline, you know, you make the conscious choice to engage in like fasting or praying. It's like, I'm going to pray today. I'm going to read scripture today. I feel like suffering is something that you don't have to choose to do. You just get to live in this world and, and you'll get that test right at some point. But I mean, does that ring true to you? I feel like it's something that instead of just avoiding suffering at all costs, it should be something as a Christian that we say, okay, God, it makes me a little nervous. But I know it's like, you're going to get me through it. Will you allow a suffering in my life that will take me, take me to the other side? I mean, gosh, like, do we pray that? Like, I don't have the courage for that because you will suffer. Mm-hmm. It's just how you respond. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it does say, we know this, we all know this. It, you know, it says there in James 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing well i want to get to the last mm-hmm. part of that verse without yeah. going to the middle of it well you want a resurrection without a crucifixion right yeah right yeah um wow yeah i think too a lot of it has to do with control can we can we say that? So I have control issues. I will admit that in con- Controlaholics Anonymous. Um, I have control issues. So you said in your book that the thing about pain is that it reveals how much we want to control. It makes us desperate for control because we can't control it, right? So if we can't control, that sends us back to fear, which like brings us back to all of these things, which then can lead us to bitterness. So I think control is maybe like a, a key root here on, on something we have to surrender. How did you guys, I mean, you've walked this, I know in, in more ways than just this battle, but obviously we're talking about um, Ian. How did you tangibly surrender control in that? I, I can't imagine, I know you say, don't say that to people, but I haven't walked your shoes. I'm not a parent yet. Um, so I don't know what that would be like. And how how would you, with the love of a parent, surrender your control. You know, I think I I read that you said you made an agreement early on that you weren't going to do, I guess, drastic measures to to sustain his life, right? If if God was taking him. That to me is was was a surrender, right? Of saying, God, we want your plans. What were some examples of of how you continued to surrender and not grab that control back in the middle of the process? It is a process. I mean, you you talked about you know, the decision to not take it drastic measures we were a year into the journey when we made that decision so there's a long series of decisions leading up to that decision Hmm. there were many 
nights. Uh, at, I mean, I, I lived in the pediatric intensive care unit. I would sleep there with them many, many, many nights. And he, it, you know, the, when things would quiet down, I'd sit and reflect and write. I'm an introvert, so I process through writing and just, you know, interacting with, okay, what happened this day? What are you saying? God? What are we doing? And refocusing on what I know to be true. It was a day-by-day thing. There were many times when we were grasping for the control levers, panicking, trying to grab the steering wheel. I think that's good for people to hear, too, that you're not perfect, even though you've walked this. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely not. And just, of course, you want to do everything you can in sorting out what God's leading you to do versus what your flesh is saying. It's very difficult at times. And even in our spiritual life, I mean, there were thousands of people praying for us and for Ian. Yeah. So I, I remember writing, reflecting on that. What are we doing here? Are we trying to gang tackle God and get him to do what we want him to do? Like we're going to, we're going to make God do what we want. Is that what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. Well, no, there's something fundamentally wrong with that, but are we trying to control God? Yeah. Through our prayers? Interesting concept. <laughs> But he wants us to pray, and we do pray, and we pour out our hearts, and it matters, and it makes a big difference, and he does miracles. Mm-hmm. I think it's a normal response to pain is to try and get out of pain and try and control what's going on. That's normal. That's human. Yeah. But when you get into a situation where the answer is no, where you can't get out of it, you have to start looking at some other options. Well, I also think it's a Western way of thinking. Hmm. to a point because we have had in many ways we have had the ability to create control through wealth or education or resources and as you said with covid we're experiencing something that nobody knows how to control yep mm-hmm. and so it evokes fear and people are in a panic and panic is an looks ugly on most of us. Yep. I can't tell you how many nights. I mean, I could barely have a quiet time. Like I would read one verse as I was going to bed. It would be all I was capable of. My heart and my mind were so overwhelmed with what was going on. And then I still had all these children at home I was supposed to be taking care of. And people were helping. I remember at one point we brought him home for a month and, you know, had all the full hospital room there took turns through 24 hours and I would be awake at night with him and on my face believing believing in a way I'd never believed that God was going to heal I just flat out just trusted but it didn't happen (laughs) there was a it was a crucial moment where God led me to spend the entire weekend, every waking hour by Ian's side, praying that God would heal him. He was in a coma at this point. Didn't know what he could hear, what he could understand, but we knew from others that he may well be aware of what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. So Saturday morning, I think Renee was there with me when we started this uh, weekend. I I leaned down and spoke to Ian's ears. And 
I said, son, I'm, I'm going to spend this whole weekend and you're going to be hearing me praying for your healing. I'm going to be fighting for your life in prayer. Doing everything I know battle for your life. But I don't know what's going on in your heart and mind right now, but I believe Jesus is right there with you. And if he is saying, time for you to come home, then you listen to him. I said, I said uh, don't worry about us. You listen to him. I had to let him go. I had to let it go. And then at the same time, I spent the rest of the week praying that God would heal him. That was Saturday morning. It was Monday morning that he and he died. And we let him go. And uh, I could I, when I woke up that morning by his side, uh, I could see all the numbers were going south. I called Renee to come. And she came and uh, we gave permission to the doctors to turn off the machines. And we sat on either side of him. And we watched all the machines go down to zero. And my warrior wife reached across his body, took my hand. He said, we will still trust God. There is a life on the other side of surrender that is beautiful and good, full of joy and peace and grace. Obviously, we still feel the pain. It's 10 years later. I'm sitting here weeping. I'm feeling it. But I'm telling you, I'm it, for years I had prayed that God would 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 increase my joy. I just thought, I'm not that joyful. And what I see in the scriptures and what I see in others is beyond my experience. I'm experiencing more joy yeah. than I've ever experienced. So pain and joy can coexist. And the best joy i mean pain actually i mean i think it was uh, the uh, the lebanese mystic khalil gibran that said that pain is the the instrument that god uses to carve out the crucible of our hearts so that they can contain more joy and i believe that's true that, that god does surgery in our hearts in the midst of pain it increases our capacity for joy it it weans us off of mere happiness. It's all about what happens. And ushers us into the ability to experience joy that transcends transcends our circumstances. Yeah. And even the pain that we're experiencing. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing that. I I'm having to somewhat 
disconnect myself as an interviewer. Otherwise, I will lose it and not be able to keep going. But I really struggle doing podcasts sometimes because I'm like, how am I supposed to honor the journey that you've been through? You know, talking to you for 10 minutes before I hit record and then an hour and we're supposed to be talking about the most painful parts of your lives. And um, so I know I can't fully do that. And I just want to thank you for for going there for people because it's real. And I just feel like I want to ask you if you want to share a story about Ian and maybe one about Linda or multiple just about the lives they lived and who they are and maybe a demonstration of, of faith or, or whatever God puts in your heart. I just feel like we should should honor them. And I mean, everyone, please get the book. I'll link that. And, and that does a great job. I know we haven't even talked that much about Linda's journey and, and her writing is wonderful to watch watch that. Um, but yeah, do you have stories of either of them that you would want to share with people? I literally never heard Ian complain the entire journey. He just blew me away. And all of his siblings say, be glad it was him because I wouldn't have been that way. <laughs> um, I think maybe one of the things that I often remember is when the doctor, we knew something was coming back and with his brain and the numbness and stuff that was going on, I was so terrified. And I'd, I remember getting the phone call while I'm cooking dinner and literally just falling to the ground when the doctor said, well, he probably has um, two weeks to live. Then his brain will shut down. Well, it was exactly two weeks later that uh, he had that grand mal seizure and went into a coma. But I remember that night, David and I had to sit down and tell our 13 year old son, you probably have two weeks to live. <laughs> How do you do that? And I remember sitting there he just kind of looks at us and he goes, well, I guess we needed to have a class five miracle then. And that's all he said. And he just continued to live until he was actually at a passion play performance or practice when he collapsed. Wow. He just lived right up to the end. Joyful and a lot of fun. Yeah, sense of humor. I miss it. He was a funny guy. His, the day after he died, he's the sixth of seven children. And uh, the day after he died, everyone had gathered here. All the kids. Yeah, all, all the kids who gathered around our dinner table. And we're not a family that dodges the hard questions. We sat around that table for hours talking about all the hard questions. And I was so proud of them that they weren't dodging the hard questions. One of the things they said, it was a six or seven, but they said he became like our older brother. He just continued to give. He never turned in on himself. He didn't appear to ever feel sorry for himself. Hmm. He suffered really well. The night he was diagnosed, I wrote in my journal, what, what do I most want for my son? Do I want him to be healed? Yes, of course. But what I most want is for him to know Jesus well. And I think that God answered my prayer. He knew Jesus better than any of us. Talking about that, you just remind me of, 
I, I just read one of John Mark Comer's books and he he's just talking about how our strongest desires are often not our deepest desires. And he's talking about that in the form of fasting and things or teaching ourselves, okay, well, yeah, you might want to eat that now, but your your deepest desire is to know God, right? And so that's what fasting teaches you. But I feel like you're you're showing that in in this circumstance, in that prayer, it's like my strongest desire is that my son would be healed, but I have a, a deeper yeah. desire than that. And we have to, to live by our deeper desires instead of our strongest ones. Yeah. Well said. Beautiful. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a story of Linda that you'd want to share? Well, uh, it, you, know, you, you talked about how she's funny. Uh, she had been a God hater. She had what? She had been a God hater. Oh, okay. When I first shared my face with her, she said, uh, I used to think you had a brain. Totally rejected. Hmm. And uh, we prayed for years that God would surround her with people who have the real disease. And uh, one day she called up Renee and said, with sheer disgust, all my friends are Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And she came to know Jesus in the most irreverent way. Mm-hmm. She was not a religious person. She just got to know Jesus. She used to hate him and then she loved him. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had this wicked sense of humor that would just slice you to pieces. But yeah, I don't know. Renee, are there any specific stories coming to your mind? Well, I just, I, I don't remember at the moment if you shared in the, the book or not, but the one of the times that, She'd had the CAT scan or whatever, and the cancer had come back, and it was in her abdomen. And so they were going to do a big surgery. And um, very Linda style, she said to her husband, this is going to take a long time. They're not going to find anything. He's like, what? The Lord's told me that they're not going to find anything. But just set your mind. It's going to take a long time. Just very matter of factly. (laughs) The morning before, they had taken the scans or whatever, and there was the cancer, and they went in. And it took them a long time because they couldn't find the cancer. God had removed it at that point. And the doctor came in and said something like, we couldn't find it. She's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh I knew. Just so, (laughs) as David said, irreverent, but total confidence that God had said that to her. And then the doctors and nurses will all come and just stand at her door to look at her because, and then NIH studied her for years trying to quantify and I thought, good luck quantifying miracles, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was a woman of fierce faith and she was funny, but in the last round, she, she knew it was her time. Hmm. And that's after the book. So yeah, I don't know that part. Yeah. Well, it just, you know, it was, it came back and although she had, this incredible faith that had you know, she'd experienced absolutely miraculous, verifiable miracles that had preserved her life before. This time, three times, yeah. This time she knew, not this time. This is a time to go home. Mm-hmm. You know, what would she say now? I think that both she and Ian would say to us, why are you trying so hard to stay out of heaven? Hmm. Yeah, they had quite a wow. a bond. Yeah, it was a deep bond. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how much you would want to have this <laughs> relayed, but 
two different people after Ian died had visions or something of him. One was his sister and one was one of his nurses in PICU. And one of our daughters asked for permission if she could spend an hour with her brother's body because she wanted to pray for raising the dead. And she had been Mm -hmm. around people that raised the dead. And I said, well, honey, can I sit in the back? Because if your brother goes back to life, I want to be right there. But I'll sit in the back because I don't have your faith at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And so David was keeping everybody out. And when the hour is over, he had not been raised. And David said he was scared to death to open that door because he didn't know if he was going to find a devastated young woman. Hmm. And when he came in, she turns around and her face is just filled with radiance. And she said, I could see him. He was standing there next to Jesus. And he's going, do I got him? Do I have to do what she wants me to do? (laughs) And she saw Jesus say, it's up to you, Ian. He's like, why would I go back? Hmm. And a nurse had exactly the same picture. And I just, I've increased. Gives me chills. Yeah. And that gives me comfort. But it's also, anybody that's gone on beyond, I don't think any of them would ask to come back. So why are we trying so hard? It's in how God made us, but he keeps weaning our hearts. We hurt bad enough. We don't want to stay. I just, I just, I know this isn't the way it was designed. Right. Yeah. And what you don't know is your episode is airing the week after a mom who lost her son, who then had her own near-death experience and and saw her son. So yes, absolutely. Please share those stories. Yeah. It's just all the different ways, ways that God works. It's interesting to think, you know, that he did that. And it's just, I love the random story about how your shoulder was healed you know, in the hospital room when they're like, can we pray for healing? And you're like, anyone else? And you're like, sure, why not? And it's just that God heals us clearly. I am not a cessationist. Um, I believe that the gifts are alive and active, but I, maybe it goes back to control, right? You can't control. And maybe when we try to control the gifts as wielding power instead of gifts, maybe that's when we run into problems, but I'm writing that one down. I know. I was like, that had to be the spirit. I don't know where that came from. But um, I just think your your story shows the broad hand of healing of God. It's just, it's different and, and we can't explain it. He does it all these different ways. But at the end of the day, maybe we're back where we started, which is just trust. And submission. Yeah. And submission. That's good. We're part of uh, the altar ministry team at our church. And we're often given the opportunity to pray for people and to pray for healing. It took us a couple of years to get back to that after Ian died, to be able to pray for healing of people when you prayed like crazy for your own and it didn't happen. And holding those two things together, fierce faith and fierce surrender. You know, I, I will not let go unless you, until you bless me, holding that together with, I will, but yours be done. Yeah. Just like in Gethsemane. Those are both there. They appear to be contradictory. They feel contradictory. Now, how can I really, I mean, you know, cessationists, I think, tend to go toward, yeah, I'll pray for the sick, but I don't really think God's going to do anything to, to pray. that. And, and we've seen so many healings. I mean, some people have even said, I think you might have the gift of healing. Mm. I don't think so, but 
I mean, we've seen so many miracles, but we don't have remote control on God. We're not in charge of him. And to, to hold those together, mm-hmm. there's mystery in that that I don't know how to explain. Yeah. But we need to be able to hold them together because the Bible holds them together. Can I read a quote that I just read last night in Honest Advent? Absolutely. You know, this is talking about the virgin birth. Understanding is beyond my pay grade. Because this part of Christian tradition will remain a mystery and may never be fully explained. And that's okay. Because the function of a paradox is not to find the solution to seemingly opposing truths, but to be transformed by living in the middle mystery of them. Amen. And I thought somebody finally finally put to words, my God is so good and I trust him. My son died and I'm still going to trust him. Thank you for sharing that. I hate to do this to you because I feel like we could talk for five hours. I feel like in some ways we barely scratched the surface. And in other ways, I think it was the exact conversation God wanted us to have. But are there any things related or not related to what we have talked about that you guys would like to share before we stop recording? I think my one of my biggest passions is for people who are followers. Do everything it takes to know who your God is for who is the God of the Bible not who we want him to be. Drop the mic. Yeah. We just don't know him. Yeah. Do we really want to know God as he really is? Or would we rather know God as we wish he was? Think deep in our souls because you know, if we're in Christ and he's in us, that Holy Spirit who groans in Romans chapter 8, he lives in us. He wants to close the gap. He wants us to know him as he really is. So, there is a noble desire in us to really know God that, that leads us to pray and to ask him to take us there. And we naively pray. And he takes us at our word. And it's a rough road. But he answers our prayers. He's so good. He's so good. He's so kind. So the three of us. None of us, I don't think, would say we understand God, but we can at least end this, all three of us saying we've experienced suffering and we know he's good. We know he's worth it, right? Full circle because of the title of your book. Don't waste the pain. And I I don't think any pain is wasted if it's given to God. It becomes that sacrifice of praise and it's a sacrifice because it is bloody Mm. and it's broken. Agreed. Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for for delving into pain. Um, I know that's a choice and I I just know this is going to really bless a lot of people. So thank you for doing this today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. This is the deep stuff, the good stuff. Thank you so much again to David and Renee for coming on the podcast today. I have linked the book, Don't Waste the Pain, in the show notes so you can grab a hold of that. And I linked the Lions' website on the show notes as well. So check out their resources. And after all of those incredible topics we covered, I want to leave you with something Linda wrote in the book. She said, After nine years, I no longer ask why. Now I just ask what? 
as in, what do you want me to do with what I know? So I hope that that's something that you can ask the Lord today as you finish this podcast is what does he want you to do now with what you know? Have a great January, everyone. We will see you here again on January 31st.